Hello, and welcome to the second real episode of Tracy Bond's Flying Circus. A celebration and look at 60 years of James Bond on film, with a 21st century queer and feminist lens. I'm one of your hosts, Michaela Moody. And I'm the other half of both the podcast and yours, Sarah the Scrivener. And we do have a guest here for our very first time. Woo! Previous episode, in true late 70s Bond fashion, we announced that Andrea Lassell, our friend, was going to be on this episode. Sadly, scheduling issues happened. It's not like end of 70s Bond where Star Wars happened and suddenly we were like, we need to get a sci-fi person on. <laughs> no, this time it was it was just scheduling issues. Podcasting is a hard life. Yeah. Mm. But that said, we got Scott Nicewonder from the That's YouTube me. channel Nerdsing. Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, I'm Scott Nicewander. I, uh, my pronouns are he, him. I am a YouTuber. I've done YouTube on my channel NerdSync for a while. I just hit the 10 year anniversary actually, which I was not. Congratulations. Thank you. I did not even realize until YouTube gave me a notification. And, uh, I think it's just the anniversary of my channel. I don't think I was making videos, (laughs) but it was just like the channel has existed for 10 years. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean... I'm bi, so I will probably say things about how I'm attracted to Sean Connery in ways, and I want everyone to know Thank God. Yes. Somebody else who can sympathize with me for my attraction to Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) Because Michaela's sitting here like, you know. I'm here, the token lesbian, and just to briefly remind folks, um, my pronouns are she, her, Sarah's pronouns are also she, her. It's good to just remember to say that. But I, I I do like having our little... Queer club. Yay. Yeah. Queer club. <laughs> <sighs> Big fan. It helps that a lot of our friends are queer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's hard to avoid. Cool. Well, thank you for introducing yourself. Yeah. And we've known each other, I want to say, like, probably oh three gosh. or four years at this point. Yeah. At least it feels like, right? Yeah. I, I did a voice for one of your videos. Yes. Like, I still think about that Jean Grey video. Yes. It was good. It was a good video. It was incredibly good. Yes. <laughs> very, very good. And you crushed it. So oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, thank you for joining us. And all of Scott's videos are really good, and we strongly urge people to go and check they them out. They are. Hmm. And Scott, you'll get your chance to plug later on as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Fun fact about me, I share a birthday with Sean Connery, so... What? Um, nice. Well, I guess I don't share it anymore. I think it's just me now, huh? It is. You, you yeah. did outlive no, no, him. Yeah. I won. He bequeathed the last of his birthday energy to you when he died a few years ago. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Sean. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing so good. Uh, I love watching. I don't. I don't watch a lot of movies, to be honest with you. Like I, mm. I watch a lot of TV, but I don't. I, I don't watch a lot of movies. There's so many like classics that I just haven't really caught up on. So like going back and and revisiting, especially this franchise that is so well known, and I know next to nothing about it. Uh, it's been a treat. I'm really glad. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing about James Bond is like. When we started reaching out to people, I would say that all but like two or three of them had actually ever seen one before. Mm-hmm. They were like, I've never seen any of them. Does it matter? And I'm like, it, it doesn't. <laughs> but wow. No, that's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people have seen Skyfall. Mm. A lot of people saw Skyfall. Yeah. I've seen that one. 
it's just, I mean, yeah, it's everyone knows the name James Bond. Yeah. And we know like the classics, you know, like the whole shaken, not stirred, that sort of thing. Mm. But like, yeah, it's it's fun to actually go and, and see, see what all this hype, what's all this about? Well, who is this James Yeah, fellow? I mean, let's officially ask the question, if there's more to it that you want to say, like, what is your prior history with James Bond, or indeed, like, broader spy movie yeah. media stuff. Uh, love Spy Kids. That's number one. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but I would say also, with James Bond specifically, I I never, I never watched any of it until I was in college, and my roommate and his friends wanted to watch all of the Daniel Craig ones. Mm. And so we watched those, and I only remember, like, glimpses of them and i i just thought like you know like these are fun but they're not i don't know i always thought my my interpretation of james bond was like a little bit more serious austin powers right because austin powers is just a parody of james bond i don't think that's wrong yeah though, in many of them like especially the roger moore era oh yeah so that's that's sort of where i was where my head was at and i was like hmm, i wonder if if like the older like original movies would have that sort of vibe that i that i want so i did watch years ago i watched the first one dr no right yes yeah is that the first one yep. yes I watched that one, and then I watched this one, and that's as far as I got. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so you didn't even make it to the like song in the title sequence era, mm. which is literally the next one, Goldfinger. No, I, fe- I fell short. <laughs> For what it's worth, I think you would enjoy Goldfinger. I think I would too. I've seen a lot of, I've like read about it, and I, I know that it's like a lot of people's favorite, so I would do that. Yeah. I think we're good to just go ahead and start. Okay. Are there any content warnings we need to go over? So, from Russia with Love, which is the film we're doing this time, which we haven't mentioned until this very We moment. haven't actually said. <laughs> <laughs> so, today's episode is from Russia with Love. There is one thing I actually want to say. Mm-hmm. Since we're doing an episode which has Russia in the title, I think it's important for us to take a moment to recognise that, and I'm going into official statement language because this is as official a statement as it will get from this podcast, and I think it's worth saying. It's important for us to take a moment to recognise that Russia as a state, whether as depicted here in this film and in forthcoming films as then the USSR or the current Russian Federation, is not a cartoon entity, not just a construction for monolithic movie villains. It is a real place with real governments and real people of all sorts of beliefs, there is not one Russian people who are, or ever were, in inverted commas, our enemy in totality. No matter what these films, and many others of this time, can sometimes suggest, or their current government is trying to enforce. And also, to be clear, we stand with the people of Ukraine and their right to self-determination. That being said, and I think it's just really important to set our stall there, um, is there anything that people should be aware of before they listen to a discussion on the 1963 film From Russia with Love? I think for our discussion, might be useful to know that there is an extended sequence with a group of Romani 
in a Romani village. Uh, they do not use that term. They use what some people would consider a slur to refer to those group of characters. And the depiction is pretty stereotypical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's a girl fight, and we will get to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the wagons, the girl fight, the dress. Mm-hmm. It's it's what you generally see in depictions with Romani in unsympathetic media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although they are depicted ultimately as as allies. They are friendly, they are allies, yes. Um, I want to make it clear that there will be mention of real-life terminal illness in the form of cancer for one of the actors involved. And content warning for suicide, I just think that's important for people to be aware of as well. And at one point, Bond hits the main Bond girl. Yeah, it's not... Not my favorite Sean Connery moment Mm-mm. by any means. It, it, certainly to a modern viewer, it feels very out of place. Yeah. Yeah. And we can talk more extensively about that later. Um, and then finally, the only other thing I think worth mentioning is that Rosa Klebb, who is one of the villain characters, is definitely portrayed as a predatory lesbian. They never yeah. say she's a lesbian, but she does stuff that's predatory lesbian-y. So yeah. if that's something that might make you uncomfortable, wanted to put it out there. Yeah. Now... I want to go over a little bit of real-life background that I just think is interesting. We've never really iterated the fact that, like, this podcast is not about film history, this is not a behind-the-scenes podcast, but there are things that I find interesting, fun facts, you know, Sarah comes up with them as well. For instance, this film sort of really codifies the fact that the organisation Spectre replaces what was used in, in Fleming's books, which is Smirsh, which was a real USSR spy agency. Mm-hmm. Spectre here, as created by Ian Fleming and also Kevin McClory for the Thunderball novel. We will get to that when we talk about Thunderball, because it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah, for, for those of you who maybe don't have the context, Spectre is essentially James Bond's version of Hydra in Marvel, mm-hmm. yeah. in the MCU. Yeah. Down down to the fact that they pretty much share a logo. Oh yeah. It it is also an octopus, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you is. putting that into terms that I would understand oh, as yeah. Uh, yeah. someone who <laughs> only knows comic book stuff and occasional Scooby Doo things. Yeah, absolutely. As previously mentioned, the book from Russia with Love was really popular after President Kennedy revealed it as like his ninth favorite book in a magazine interview. Oh. Joanna Harwood, who we previously mentioned on the Doctor No episode, did do a first draft. She attempted to do a rewrite with director of Doctor No and this film, Terence Young, but she found it impossible to work with him. And judging by how he has evidently behaved towards other people, I'm not surprised. Mm. And so this was the point where we know pretty much for certain that Joanna Harwood left as Harry Saltzman's secretary and left Eon Productions, which is sad. Richard Maybaum was responsible for the final script. Something I find very interesting about this one is that set designer Ken Adam is not here, hmm. nor is titles designer Morris Spender. This is apparently the point where Sean Connery started really regretting signing a multi-film deal, but the producers were reticent to discuss changing his contract, beyond the, in inverted commas, considerable raise to his basic fee and a bonus. This is movie two right yeah okay yeah. so he yeah. pretty immediate regret then huh yeah he was like oh no oh, shit. I, I'm oh i gotta do another one of these, these. <laughs> yeah 
it's funny because we <laughs> Michaela and I have talked about this because my parents have the, their great impression of Sean Connery is that he felt like he was too good to do these movies mm. and that really that comes across to them mm-hmm. to me he just seems tired <laughs> and I think there's not that he's entirely wrong or anything but like to me it, it's a lot like how daniel craig like daniel craig thought he was gonna be doing this for like five years maybe mm. and then it was like 10 years yeah and he's exhausted and he's broken so much of his body from it yeah and michaela and i kind of feel like daniel craig is just he's going through the same thing that sean connery went through but he's maybe mm. handling it a little bit more gracefully mm-hmm. <laughs> he, i mean he, you know he has better celebrity training yeah Mm. I, d- I don't think your parents' impression is entirely wrong. <laughs> I was curious, like, when... I And I looked up a little bit, and boy, like, the early the early ones, they were cranking them out, like, year after year. Oh, like, yeah. There was... Like, yeah. one a year. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. yeah so the first three, Doctor No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, actually first four, up to Thunderball, they are an annual thing. Mm-hmm. After that point, they slowed down, mm-hmm. and they are about, on average, every two years. This was the most popular film of 1963 at the UK box office. Ooh. Wow. And finally, in terms of things that we can say before Sarah gives us the rundown, just an interesting thing is, like, following criticism of the film's more violent moments, Cubby Broccoli, one of the producers, describes the producer's intended approach as sadism for the family. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. All right. Okay. Fair enough. So, interesting. Yeah, a little bit of insight. Very cool. Okay, so I'm going to try and give a very quick rundown just so that we all know who is who and what's going on. That's um, good because I did not watch this movie, so you got to help me out here. Uh, you <laughs> what? I've, I've watched it. I watched it. Like right before this. You Literally it, right like, before five this. Before we yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have more instant familiarity with it than we did because we watched it. Several weeks ago, mm. Sarah, remind those of us who didn't immediately before this watch the film what happens. All right. So basically, if you watch Dr. No, Dr. No mentions that he is part of a supervillain organization called Spectre. And we open the film essentially seeing inside this organization. And they want to take revenge on James Bond for killing Dr. No. And they also are trying to steal a MacGuffin. That is known as a lector cryptography device, which will be able to decode things. And right now the Soviets have it. And so we have new Spectre employee Rosa Klebb, who is a former very high ranking Soviet spy who has defected to Spectre. She's assigned to oversee the mission. She picks a... I guess she's not really a spy. Is Tatiana a spy? Tatiana's more sort of an admin worker in Russian intelligence working from Turkey. and She's kind of like a money petty. Something that we need to make clear is that part of the Spectre plan is to honey trap James Bond Mm -hmm. in order to first humiliate him and then the entire British Secret Service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they decide to use a woman who's working for Russian intelligence named Tatiana Romanova, who has access to this device, essentially to lure Bond into working together, knowing that MI6 won't be able to resist the pull of getting this item. Bond and M are basically pretty aware that this has got to be a trap, but they really want the thing, which I'm either going to call it a device 
or um, the thing, but <laughs> it, it is known as the Lecter. And so we head off to Turkey where we know the Lecter is. Bond meets up with a man called Ali Karimbe in Istanbul, and they're working on meeting up with Tatiana Romanova. She's been told the wrong information, mm -hmm. just like Bond has. They're being tricked in order to get the Lecter to Spectre. And all the while, there is a Spectre agent who looks who looks like Rocky straight out of Rocky Horror Picture Show, who is following Bond with the intent to clear the path so that they can actually steal this thing, but also so that he can eventually kill Bond himself. After a, a lot of stuff that's not entirely necessary, including <laughs> a uh, visit to a Romani camp where a shootout occurs because we have Oh, man, is it... A convoluted revenge plot between Kieran Bay <laughs> and one of the a good, less important Spectre agents. A good 20 minutes of just unnecessary diversion. Wasted. Mm -hmm. Where we go to a Romani camp for like a night. There's yep. a shootout. Bond has a threesome with two... Romani women. Mm-hmm. It happened. It definitely, that's definitely what the film applies. Mm-hmm. And then Bond and Tatiana finally meet, and uh, I'll call her Tanya for the rest of the movie because that's what Bond calls her. They meet up, and they're scheming to steal the Lecter. They do steal the Lecter, and then they escape, and with Karimbe, they get on a train to go back to London. And all the while, Tanya's like, you know, you're going to keep me safe when I'm in London because I've defected. That's my story. And that's her cover story for him. While on board, a Soviet security officer tails them and then Krimbe decides to keep him company so that he can't, you know, kill them. And then they end up killing each other. So we have our, you know, our obligatory, oh no, I really liked this character. What do you mean he's dead? Death in this movie. And then we meet up with this statuesque blonde specter agent who has been tailing them the whole time he gets on the train Named what's Donald his name? Grant. oh yeah after a little bit of trickery bond does successfully kill him he and tanya escape they escape on a boat mm -hmm. and then surprisingly they do not have sex on the boat as they don't have sex on that sex boat. scenes are on that boat that's right that's right yes they have sex at the other boat at the end oh mm -hmm. my god this happens in so many films scott you don't even know like 50 percent of the like i would mm. 75% of the classic Bond I, films. I think I might need to find the sound effects for, like, a boat sex tally, because that's... <laughs> it really does happen that often. That's like... the end of Doctor No, and now the end of Throne Russia with Love. Mm -hmm. But to get to the end, we need to explain how we get to the end. So. Okay, okay. They escape on a boat, they're pursued by Spectre agents, mm -hmm. and then they escape to... Oh, where is it? Oh, it's Venice. Mm -hmm. They stop in Venice on their way to London, and Rosa Klebb, who we met at the beginning, who is now in deep trouble because this plan has not gone according to it, you know? Mm -hmm. She is about to die if she doesn't get this thing for Spectre. And so she comes in dressed as a maid, and Tanya, thinking that she is still her real boss assists her to get the lector and then tanya because she's fallen in love with james bond oh. tanya shoots rosa bond says something pithy and then they end the boat wait they end <laughs> they end the movie making out in a boat in venice and that's it i didn't even mention the sex tape <laughs> but that's basically what happens <laughs> we'll <get there. laughs> from russia with love <laughs>
for a quick rundown of the people who are in it, we have Sean Connery returning as James Bond. We have mm. Pedro Armandaris as Ali Krimbe, who was a Mexican actor playing a Turkish man. Yeah. We have Lottie Lenya as Rosa Klebb. Very interesting woman. She was queer. And if you've listened to Mac the Knife and you're like, Lottie Lenya, why does that sound familiar? It's because she and Louis Armstrong like sung the song together, like originally, and he improvised her name into the lyrics. So more about her later. We have Robert Shaw as Donald Grant, who is the Spectre assassin who follows them onto the train and looks like Rocky. Daniela Bianchi is playing Tatiana Romanova. Dubbed. Yeah, she's dubbed in this movie, just like Honey Rider was dubbed hmm. in Dr. No. And she she was an Italian actress, and this was one of her first films, if not her first film. And then she basically, like, her last film was like five years later, which was a James Bond spoof with Sean Connery's brother. So she was not in acting for very long, hmm. but yeah. she's fun in this. And we have our normal people returning. So we have Q and Bernard Lee returning as M. Eunice Gason makes another appearance as Sylvia Trench, her last appearance. And Lois Maxwell is Moneypenny. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Our first two topics of discussion are women and sex, mm, and yes. this film is kind of very much about sex both. and violence. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. This movie is so sexist. Okay. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so sexist. I liked is... this movie so much when you showed it to me in 2018. I was like, I love this. Tanya's wonderful. I'm in love with Tanya. Mm-hmm. I would die for her. And then like. Apparently, I had rose-colored glasses in 2018 for this movie because I liked it. And then we rewatched this, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like every five minutes, we do something really sexist. This like, this movie has very much an air of like women be silly, and you know, like yeah, <laughs> women are a little too emotional. They're a little. I mean, too it's silly. funny because it, it even stuck. I mean. Worth noting here, we don't see Sean Connery as actual James Bond for like seventeen minutes. Yeah, into we the start film. we start with Spectre, and it's very interesting. It's cool, yeah. And then like Sylvia Trench appears, bringing it back to women. Sylvia Trench, who first appears at the beginning of Doctor No, the very first Eon production, Sean Connery Bond girl. And I think this film's treatment of women extends even to her. Like, Mm -hmm. she has a less powerful presence than she has in Doctor No. Her lines are a lot more on the nose. Mm -hmm. She's like, what do you mean you're leaving me? Mm -hmm. We still got like an hour of sex. Six months. We'll do this again some other time soon. Do what? Last time you said that, you went off to Jamaica. Yeah, it's very much... And, like, yeah, he's, he's on the phone, and he's, like, swatting her hand away, and he's yeah. very yeah. much just, like, you know, like, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to... I'm working. I'm, I'm working right now. And then she sort of is just like, but we could, you know... And he's like, or... all right, then I still have to go to work, but this now I'll pay attention to you for, like, a half hour, because... All I want is actually sex. You've got Sylvia Trench, Eunice Gason, right there. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the way she plays this character. It's such a shame we never see her again. Why isn't she tackling him to the ground and, like, ripping the phone mm-hmm. cord? That's what Doctor Knows Sylvia Trench would do. <laughs> 
Daniela Bianchi as Tatiana Romanova. I like her a lot. Yeah. I think for what she, what she's given, she does a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I there there's also just way less female characters than there were in Doctor No, which is such a weird thing to say, but like mm. we had several female characters who had lines in Doctor No. Yeah. And here we have Tanya mm-hmm. and we have Rosa Klebb, the villain, yeah. and we have Money Penny. Yeah. Sure. We've got the the fighting girls. We have the Romani women who have no mm-hmm. lines. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we have Karen we Bay's have uh, Karen Bay's who... like whiny girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> wants nothing more than to have sex with him. <laughs> um, yeah. and <laughs> that's it. And it's just it it is such a dramatic difference. It feels a bit like Terrence Young was like, okay, you made me respect women in this first one, right? I don't have to do this again. I've paid <laughs> my dues. Yeah, it it, it does. Just about every woman in this movie is basically just there to have sex with, like, a guy. That's, like, yeah. that's what they're there for. Yeah. yeah. It's such incredibly, like, there's a lot of male gaze in this, mm-hmm. like, textbook male gaze. And, like, here's my thing. I'm bisexual. I like women. I'm not completely opposed to admiring a female body. Mm-hmm. But it's so boring. <laughs> I don't know if it's because it's, like, the 60s. But, like... That scene where we first... I think it's just because it's this film. Like, yeah. we've seen 60s Bond films where a woman Filmed is filmed so better. Interestingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, I think of Karimbe's girlfriend lying on the bed and you get this shot of her cleavage and she's just sitting there and putting her, like, necklace in her mouth and it's kind of hot, but it's also like there's no movement to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so clinical. And then my favorite one is where we're on Spectre Island mm-hmm. and we meet the Spectre assassin that's going to be following them for the rest of the movie and there's just this woman that appears out of nowhere and she's gonna give him a massage and so she takes her top off for no Mm -hmm. reason and Mm -hmm. it is the most boring like it's like she's undressing for a doctor's exam except she's the doctor and it's like what is happening why does she yeah (laughs) why does she need to undress for this and like it's very odd and there's also lots of other things like we have a joke in which the punchline is she should have kept her mouth shut and yes. it's a very classic like James Bond was, pun but like it's very weak it's and, and that one stood out to me because like he was referring to like it wasn't even a real person no right yeah. it wasn't no. even a real woman it's it was a like a poster wall. painted on a building yeah that poster is for a film called Call Me Buona starring Bob Hope and Anita Ekberg, mm-hmm. which was the second film produced by Eon Productions. Oh, Easter egg. One of the few non-Bond films that they made at all until, like, 2014. Oh, they wow. have yeah. only very recently started making other films, apart from Call Me Buona, which, mm-hmm. by all of my understanding, is not a film anyone needs to watch now. It's like a <laughs> Africa comedy exploitation film. Okay. Yeah. That scene was so weird just because every every other like real character involved was a guy and the punchline was still about a woman, yeah. right? Yeah. And it was like this it was just like come on, man. It's <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's not shaming a poster board and Nita Ekberg. It just so I watched this initially with my parents and my mom is <laughs> My mom is very much a very, very strong feminist, mm-hmm. and she had a problem watching this movie, and it was about every eight minutes that she just <laughs> rolled her eyes and, like, sighed and was like, oh, come on! I'm like, mom, you're, you're not wrong, mom, I'm so sorry. I can hear your mom say that. Oh, come <laughs> yeah. on! Yeah. 
Like when that joke in particular, she was like, "Really?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm "Sorry, mom." <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) So, yeah, this film's really sexist. I think in isolation that joke is pretty good. Mm -hmm. But this isn't a film where that can be taken in isolation because it treats all of its female characters so poorly. Again, Daniela Bianchi is beautiful, and I think she has some really fun, coquettish, flirty moments Mm -hmm. with Bond. But she it's one of those times where all the flavour kind of gets lost in the second act, or at least the second half of her appearance in the film, once they get on the train, and she's just relegated to being an object, the fictional wife. Yeah, Yeah, also an object that he shakes around a lot, which is not my favourite thing. Yeah. It's weird. Like, she's drugged, and and he's like, come on, get up, or I'm going to leave you behind, like, shaking her, like, get up, or I'm going to leave you behind. It's like, she can't do anything. It's not her fault. (laughs) Like, I do think uh, that they just about rescue her, her character from the brink at the end by giving her mm-hmm. the fun moment of with Rosa Club. tension mm-hmm. of which way her loyalties actually lie yeah. mm-hmm. and realising that maybe Club isn't the mentor she needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe not who she says she is. Yeah, let's also talk about Club a bit. I have selected you for a most important assignment. If you complete it successfully, you will be promoted. Yeah, so Cleb is interesting. Lotte who I believe was German-born. Uh, so she was Austrian-American. She was a singer and an actress. She's probably most well-known in film for playing this role. But like I said earlier... Okay, so her first husband was a guy named Kurt Weil, who was a German composer. And he wrote Mac the Knife, the song. I believe for his version of the Frequent Opera, which is a a famous earlier musical theatre piece. Yeah, and so she was there when Louis Armstrong recorded the very famous version of Mac the Knife, and he improvised the line of Look Out for Miss Lottie Lenya. (laughs) And there is a version with it as a duet where her and Louis Armstrong sing it together. Cool. That's cute. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, that makes sense. And also, a little bit of further musical theatre stuff is that people who have been into musical theatre for like 20 years or whatever may recognise the names Lotte Lenya and Kurt Weil from the mid-2000s show Love Music, which is all about their relationship. Yeah, their marriage mm. yeah. and relationship. And she, she's confirmed queer. There's no label, but we know that she, we know that she liked men and that she liked women. So yeah. Very fun thing. The only other fun fact that we have is that she was apparently notorious enough for this role that she was apparently stopped in the street, not irregularly, by people saying, look, it's the woman with the knife in her shoe. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, that is a pretty fun scene. (laughs) That is fun. I mean... It's a fun gadget. That is, like, one of the most iconic gadgets in James Bond, Rosa Klebb's knife shoe. Wow. Right up there with Oddjob's hat. Which, for people who need a visualisation, she has these very prim and proper shoes, but if you kick the heel in a certain way, a little knife pops out of the toe. And yeah, so like, what if you duct taped a knife to a shoe? It is mm-hmm. probably poisoned, yeah. which yes. is how at least one Spectre agent dies, and yeah. she tries to kill Bond with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In what ends up kind of an awkward scene, because she's just like, crouching down, kicking yeah. out. <laughs> is a little awkward yeah bond's got her like uh he's got a chair like pinned up against the wall like a lion tamer yeah she's like (laughs) she's trying so hard to kick at the right angle but she just can't do it it is yeah it is sad but it's it's fun it is a little sad 
Yeah. Uh, so that's on sexism. There's a lot of it in this film, <laughs> uh, and it is a lot more well, prominent. We, we, I mean, we haven't talked about sex. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. with sex, we have Sylvia Trench at the beginning. It's very lighthearted. They're out having a boat date when he gets a call, and we know that she's only got, Sylvia Trench is only one thing on her mind, and it's, can I? how many more rounds can I make it in before he has to leave? Mm-hmm. And he has to leave. And we have, you know, our regular flirting with Money Penny. Always wonderful. Love mm-hmm, Lois Maxwell. Mm-hmm. She is just, you know what, Scott, I want to get your opinion on Money Penny. Okay. Since you're a newcomer. All so. right. Yeah. She she wasn't in this movie very much. She was in yeah. really just like sort of one scene. So I don't really have much of an opinion other than I thought she was fun. Yeah. In terms, yeah, I don't fair. think I don't think that Lois Maxwell's appearance in this film has as much impact as say Doctor No. As Doctor No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She and Bond always have this platonic flirtation ship at work i think it's fun yeah 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 it is fun that's sort of how i interpreted it was it was a very like sort of friendly flirtatious thing and i i thought that was i thought it was fun yeah i think the most notable thing about their interaction this time is that she gets the title drops for the film that's true which is something i always enjoy looking for in films with a more opaque title like obviously they say the words doctor no a lot in the, the, the self-titled film mm. yeah same with Goldfinger. But in the film lights from Russia with Love, it's like, how are you going to get it in there? And so there's a cute bit where Bond leaves her with the picture he was given of Tatiana, mm-hmm. but he scribbles on it from Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Money Penny. Going back to sex, I mean, I do think that Bond's first meeting with Tanya is pretty electric. It, it is. is. They have so good chemistry. Good. <laughs> it is so hot. I have a fun fact about that, but, like, Bond enters... She sneaks into his hotel room mm-hmm. naked, yeah. and she's wearing one of those black chokers, and I'm like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why mm-hmm. would you do this mm-hmm. to me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It- it's an incredibly horny scene. Yeah. It yeah. is. Like, it's very horny. Immediately. Yeah. It is. And they got good chemistry. She's like, I've always thought my mouth was a bit too small. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> it's just the right size. Pause. For me, that's I mean, me. <laughs> uh, just eye roll. For me, that's a big like. Oh God, why must you do this? Mm. <laughs> but I think they have everything else. I feel like that's the pinnacle of their chemistry in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. which is sad that it's the first meeting. But like, yeah. it is the moment in which she really does a good job of acting like she has any control over this. Yeah, yeah. It's the only moment where she is Bond's equal in this whole film. Yeah, it is. Mm. It's like this, and then like the 10 minutes after this scene. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was an impactful enough scene that the screenplay for that scene has been used since then, at least a couple of times, as a screen test for potential Bond actors with potential Bond women. Wow. And there are at least a couple of clips available online, which we will put in in the show notes of... (gasps) What? Why are you just telling me about this now? I mean, your reaction. (laughs) Please continue. Please continue. There is one during a brief moment where I don't know what the deal was, whether Roger Moore wanted to leave or the producers wanted to replace him, but between Theorize Only and Octopussy, a test was done between James Brolin and Maud Adams, who is the lead woman in Octopussy. Mm. James Brolin... I've never really seen him in anything, but people will know him as the father of Josh Brolin. Mm. Huh. 
they look pretty alike. And then, following Roger Moore leaving before, I guess, they settled on Timothy Dalton, there is a pre-The Living Daylights version of this scene, starring Sam Neill of Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, yes! Music Kiwi actor. Does a really good British accent, not surprisingly. I mean, that's the thing about James Brolin, is that he was American, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me that they were considering him. Hmm. I can see it a bit more with... Sam Neill. Sam yeah, Neill. I did Google images of Sam Neill as James Bond. He d- he looks good. Yeah. He looks good. That could have been awesome. He has a very similar vocal quality to Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. even if you haven't seen this clip, I imagine people who know how he sounds will be able to imagine that. But yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's awesome. It's very well staged and filmed. The only twist to it is that we learned that there's a mirror, there's a one-way mirror, so that Spectre can like film them having sex and use it to essentially implicate James Bond mm-hmm. when they eventually decide to dispose of them both and they can frame him. Mm-hmm. That comes up later, but then he like throws the sex tape into the Venice Canal, so yeah. no big deal. <clears throat> I think it's still there to this day. So Probably. <laughs> yeah. Up for anyone's grabs. I think to to cap off the sex discussion, it's worth pointing out, and I said this when Sarah and I watched this together recently, that like because we transition through the mirror to where the Spectre agents are filming, that is the most we ever see of a Bond sex scene, at yeah. least in this era, because generally it's a fade to black or a pan An up implied. to the ceiling. Mm. But here we see just a few more seconds of them to- of them together. Mm. Yeah, it was it was interesting, and um, we we probably should also mention the sex scene between the two Romani women and Bond. Well, I mean, it's it's heavily implied. That's an implied, yeah, but that does happen, yeah. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. Oh, it definitely happened. The women are apparently the previous evening fighting over a man they both love, which I'm and like, so they're they're gonna have a fight to the death, and they wrestle for a good mm-hmm. like minute and a half on screen, and yes. that's all that we are watching in this Bond movie. And then the fight gets interrupted, and then Bond. And then after the fight gets interrupted, Bond gets to be the arbiter of who wins as a thank you. And he's like, I want I want like... the leader to stop the girl fight. And then the women are like, I guess so enamored of him that they both want to sleep with them. Well, which like, so, I hope that they're really in love with each other because this could work out very well for them. The scene with the women fighting is so weird to me because on one hand, it feels like it's trying to like thematically tie in with the beginning about the fish fighting and how there's like a third one like watching, right. like waiting. Siamese fighting fish. Fascinating. But like that doesn't it doesn't happen. There's no like third there's no like third person waiting for the victor. And you're right, I forgot about that because it never comes up again. Yeah. Yeah. It really just sets the tone for like we understand that this is what Spectre's play is. Spectre's play is to to pit two different parties against each other while they wait for the victor to be, you know, winded and then they swoop in and, and you know. But like I felt like if that fight between the women was like trying to tie in with that thematically then like i could forgive it a little bit more but it just doesn't it's just two people fighting yeah it's it's just it's just to watch the women in underwear and crop tops fight Mm -hmm. yeah the only thing that would make it in inverted commas better for some people at the time i guess would be mud i know (laughs) i was almost surprised that's all that's missing is Mm -hmm. mud Mm -hmm. yeah and then they don't hate each other anymore after bond has sex with them they don't hate each other yeah. And and one can only hope it's because they discovered their latent feelings for each other. For each other. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. better off, yeah. We've already said that this movie is super sexist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a great segue to talk about the story, though, because mm-hmm. I think we all agree that the little field trip that we take to Ramani camp is a little bit pointless. Mm-hmm. It is a yeah. good 25 minutes of the movie that does not need to be there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it delays it delays Bond and Tanya meeting. Yeah. For what? <laughs> like, it, yeah. nothing happens that yeah. couldn't have been written some other way. It just... It, it, it ends up being entirely about this rivalry to the death between Kurende and... Mm-hmm. A Czech agent or something? Which to me would suggest that he's on the Russian side rather than Spectre. But it's not very clear, honestly. No. Yeah, his name is Krilenku. Krilenku, yeah. Soviet agent. Right. Yeah. Which, like, we don't know why he wants to kill Karimbe. And we don't know why we need to care. And we don't. Yeah, therefore. that's the biggest we thing. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it's... <laughs> It's like, oh, um, well, this has nothing to do with the story at all. Mm-hmm. So, But, like, broadly speaking, what did we think of the story? Because you're right, Sarah, we didn't touch on that, nor did we touch about whether it's a travelogue or an action movie, which I think we can just lay it out right now. It's a, it's a travelogue, again. It's a travelogue. I think it's a, about as effective a travelogue for Turkey and Eastern Europe as Dr. No was for Jamaica. Yeah, I mean, this movie is very, it's very affectionate with showing, like, how beautiful Istanbul is, which is fun yeah like that's the big appeal to me about some of these early movies Mm -hmm. is that they're very much about locations and quiet spy work and then we save a lot of action for the end yeah yes action is always climactic Mm -hmm. yeah and you get these really like they have a scene where they're just in a temple and it's just really beautiful Mm -hmm. specifically uh, an islamic mosque Mm -hmm. yeah and we have a lot of scenes where it's clear that they're just filming on the street. As far as story goes, there's a good skeleton here that they didn't put super interesting meat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's a nice idea. It's a good idea. And I can't remember if I've read the book or yeah. not, but like, obviously mm-hmm. it was compelling. Yeah. I-, I think certainly, of course I'm biased, but I think it would just be a little bit stronger as a story if the women had more to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we got to check in with Tanya more often, that would be much more interesting and compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, for, for me, I sort of admired how we got, I mean, number one, the opener, just great. Like it opens yes. immediately. It's fantastic. The pre-title sequence, which features who we recognize as Bond walking around this hedge maze outside the mansion. Gripping. Followed by who we will later learn to be Donald Grant, the Spectre agent. Mm-hmm. Donald Grant kills James bond Mm -hmm. immediately we learned that it's actually a spectre agent who has been unluckily thrust into the role of the (laughs) training bait but it but it's it's a thrilling opener it's just it gets you to like you you don't really know what's happening you just it feels like oh we're in the middle of a mission like what's happening right now yeah yeah and i thought that was great i i do admire from like a viewing it from the lens of modern movies where like i feel like so much of especially like big you know like a marvel or, or disney anything really they're so tight on like spoilers and like wanting to keep information so that like there's a twist there's always like a fun yeah. like twist like oh we didn't see that coming at the end sort of a thing i like how this movie really opens up immediately being like hey we the bad guys are going to do this exact plan and there's still some details that we as the audience don't know but we know the whole time that like they're pulling the strings yeah and i like that about it there's like a you know there's still a reveal at the end of like how exactly the plan was supposed to come together but like it wasn't like i picture if this was like you know if this was made today they wouldn't even show anything specter related they would just be like you as the audience are going to have the exact same information as james bond so you're going to think that it's this until the very end when it's like just kidding it's specter 
Yeah. And which which is fine, but I, as someone who just jumped into this, if, if there was like a big reveal at the end that was like, just kidding, it was Spectre this whole time, I would have been like, what does it's that very mean? Jarring. Yeah. So I like that it, even though it is like a continuation, it feels like it's still sort of a standalone. Like I, I can piece it together and be like, all right, and I sort of understand yeah. what's happening. It's interesting because Rosa Club is kind of the main character for the first 15 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she is who we follow. Meeting Spectre number one and then recruiting Tatiana mm-hmm. under those pretenses. Yeah. Which, like, that's a scene. This is a scene we didn't even talk about. How mm. how strongly she comes on as, like, being very creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're right. I mean, it, it is a good, like, 20 minutes before we actually see James Bond in this film. Mm-hmm. Before the Bond film itself starts, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's accurate to draw a precise comparison, but it almost occupies a similar narrative space as a film like Infinity War, say, to to draw a Marvel comparison, Mm -hmm. where it starts with the ball in the villain's court, and the villains are controlling the story. Yeah. But I, I, I think almost, in my opinion, to look at it from a backwards perspective, I think maybe this film would have been more interesting if they kept that similar sort of Infinity War structure mm-hmm. throughout the film of it being primarily from the villain's perspective. Mm. Maybe if we checked in with them a little bit more. Yeah, because we yeah. do get another good scene with them, but by that time they have lost control of the narrative Yeah, yeah. in the way that they had it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like kind of surprising when Rosa Club shows up at the end. You're like, oh yeah! <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, she, she's here, she's in this film because mm-hmm, we've mm-hmm. done so much at that point and so much has happened. Mm-hmm. I think the most effective general sequence even with the problems it has is the sequence on the transcontinental railway mm-hmm. whether it's the oriental express or whatever it's a bottle episode basically there's a lot of tension in being stuck on a yes. train yeah and having a, a few moments to get off yeah. working in very much the same way that you know murder on the orange express works yeah this this was the the whole train sequence especially the fight at the end of the the whole train sequence like that is what i remembered the most yeah from my first viewing of it so like i was the whole time i was like oh i thought this happened because i was like he got there was a, a brief moment where he gets off the train to you know talk to someone about and give them some information yeah and i didn't realize he was going to get back on the train so i was just like oh right did i make that up did i make up a cool fight sequence on this train yeah that's disappointing and like i I like rewound it to be like did i miss it no and but no he gets back on the train and i was like oh yeah no this is cool this is the fight sequence i remember and like we can get to the the fight itself later but I like that there are kind of two halves to the train section. There's mm-hmm. the half where they got on and Karen Bay is with them. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ends when Karen Bay is killed and yeah. Bond yeah. has to, as you say, get off. And he basically has to tell one of Karen Bay's many sons. <laughs> yeah, Karen Bay has like five or His six sons. Endless sons. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he works for him as part of the intelligence service there that Karen Bay is dead and the plan has changed. And then, you know, at some point he gets back on and Donald Grant gets back on as well. And there's this fun second half to the train story where it's now like a mini play primarily between Bond and Grant, mm-hmm. and they have some fun back and forth until their climax. Yes. And then after that, it becomes very much a sort of, I've never seen North by Northwest, but I don't think I'm wrong in saying that it feels a bit like a Hitchcockian chase. Yeah, with yeah. the they get off the train. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Bond as the marked man being chased by 
helicopters desperately trying to find a safe place in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotta say, they really went for those action sequences. They yeah. were like, yeah. you want a helicopter? Yes. You want boats? Yes. yes. Explosions? Great. How many Massive explosions? explosions. <laughs> oh my god, so many explosions. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that is a thing that I think people often forget about this film, because they think of it as kind of a quiet, classy Bond film. With mm -hmm. more spy stuff and slowness and travelogue elements. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's a really fun boat chase sequence at the end with a really violent ending. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly <laughs> And they linger on it for so long. Yeah. It's like, they I do. get it. The bad guys are They're dead. They're like, they all died, y'all. Yeah. They burned we to death or they drowned. <laughs> we will show you every single do one of them see? individually dying. Yeah. <laughs> It is gruesome a little bit. The Spectre uh -huh. Captain, you think he's going to be okay? Oh no, he's entirely nope. on fire. No, nah, he did. He, it, it almost makes you feel bad for them. They're doing their well, jobs. I mean, the fun thing about that actor, Walter Gottel, is that he will reappear in the 70s as General Gogol, who is M's counterpart in the KGB. I mean, is there anything else anyone wants to say about the story before we move on to allies and villains? I think my biggest note is, like, if I can tell them to cut one thing, it's the Romani stuff. Because yeah. yeah. it really doesn't go anywhere, and it, it's in service of a B-plot that is completely unnecessary, and it delays the meeting of what will be our main characters. Yeah, in an entirely unnecessary way, you're right, because they don't meet until the halfway through the film. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's just a really long time. My only thing is I love the gadgets, right? Mm -hmm. An ordinary black leather case with 20 rounds of ammunition here and here. On the side here, flat throwing knife. Press that button there, now she comes. It felt like they forgot about them until like the very end and they were just like, oh yeah, now we have to do the tear gas, we have to do yeah. the hidden coins, we have to do the hidden knife, we have to do that all at once all in right one. now. All in five minutes, yeah. Yeah. And starting with the next one, Goldfinger, I think they learned to spread them out a bit more through the film yeah. rather than mm -hmm. just all at once at the end. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. They're definitely still working out their formula in this one. Let's talk allies and villains. Our primary ally is Karen Bay, as mentioned, performed, I think, pretty well by... He's great! ...by Pedro Armendariz. Yeah. Welcome to Istanbul. Oh, thank you for sending the car. He's a rather intelligent young man, by the way. He should be. He's my son. And he's he's hot, so I'm happy. <laughs> he has the lovely sort of gregarious, fun, big guy energy. Yeah. Very soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. Obviously, primarily friendly with Bond, not necessarily great around women. Yeah. Without any of these people, but like, mm. as mentioned, he has a bunch of sons who will work for him. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Just his weird... Hit it's, it's a weird moment. It's another one of those things that's like, was it necessary? Why did you have to do mm -hmm. it this way? Him commenting on mm -hmm. the, the nightgowns that they thought were very important to give mm -hmm. Tanya for this undercover role, where she will be on the on the train for one day, uh -huh. but she's got to have sexy nightgowns, which I got to say, they are really great, but still. I'd wear one. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. Just. I mean, Karen Bay is the primary ally here. We got no Felix Leiter, because it doesn't take place in any of his jurisdictions. 
the actor was going through a lot at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, he um, so he's playing a Turkish man, but he was Mexican. Mm-hmm. His name was Pedro Amandaris. He was dying of cancer as he filmed this. Yeah, he died in June 1963. He was determined to finish his part because he needed to make he wanted to make the money so that he could support his family. So he did that. All of his scenes were filmed at Pinewood Studios in the UK over a single two-week period. He returned to the US immediately, and a month later, he died by suicide. Hmm. He was apparently very famous. Very Mm. famous Mexican actor who started off in Mexico and then was in a lot of films in America. Now, an interesting fun fact, he had two children, a son and a daughter. His son became an actor, and he was in License to Kill. Yes, right, I remember that, yeah. And then his daughter became a TV producer. In, like, just under 30 years, his son will also be in a Bond film. Yeah. In 1989. Oh, nice. It's very interesting to discover people like this in these films, because we had someone similar in the last film, Mm -hmm. where we were like, wow, he was in a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to villains. I mean, this is the first time... We get a glimpse, and it's just the hands, of Spectre number one, the head of Spectre. Mm-hmm. Here, fun fact, he is actually, his body, what we see of it, is being performed by Anthony Dawson, who played Professor Dent in the previous film, Dr. No. That will also be the case in Thunderball. Ah. Yeah. But he is being dubbed by another actor, presumably mm. because no one wanted to confuse anyone that Professor Dent was actually alive. Right. Still. Alive in this film. Because Anthony Dawson has a pretty recognisable accent. But we have Spectre number one, we have Rosa Klebb, as mentioned. Mm-hmm. We have Kronstein, who is a chess champion as well as being a Spectre agent, and mm-hmm. is very memorable, I think, for his line. I'm trying to remember exactly what it is. He doesn't really figure that much in it. He gives a great performance. But um, when you're giving an overview of the film, he's not really that important. No. Uh-huh. no. With Bond. Who is Bond compared with Kronstein? Exactly. Who is Bond compared with Kronstein? <laughs> I, yeah. I just love that I he... That. He has the audacity to talk about himself in such third person. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was, it's very, yeah, it's very cocky. But then he gets killed. Mm-hmm. Knife yeah. shoe. Knife when shoe he fails. Push. I'll tell you the one line that st- stood out to me, not because it was funny, but because I, I genuinely thought, I was like, oh, that's nice. It was when Bond was offering to kill the rival for... Karim Bay. Yes. You know, and then he was like, but if you do that, I'll be even more in your debt. And Bond says, how can a friend be in debt? I'm like, that's Aww. nice. It's a, yeah, that is a really it nice is. line. It's a nice yeah. line. Yeah. I think it's pretty mm-hmm. indicative of the way Connery's Bond treats his allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is always better than he treats his women. Mm-hmm. Is there any more we want to talk about villains? I mean, besides the fact that Spectre is introduced again. It's like, we, we're building a story here, you know? like Yeah. That is something that is forgotten about these early Bond films, that they, is that they are serialized to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. They do have a running story. Goldfinger takes a pause from it, but it picks up back in Thunderball. All the way through Diamonds Are Forever is this running thread of Spectre and later Blofeld. And sure, it is not as interwoven as, say, a Star Wars or an MCU, but mm-hmm. There are still certain details that are a little bit richer if you're watching them together 
Yeah. Because yeah. the plot for From Russia with Love hinges on the fact that Spectre were humiliated by the death of Dr. No in the previous film. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about kills. What are y'all's favourite murders in this film? Boy, the the one, it's the, the helicopter where the guy's throwing down grenades and then... Bond, oh my god, and he, he pulls, drops the bomb he pulls in the, the helicopter. Yeah, he, pull, he pulled the pin out of the grenade and Bond uh, shoots him from the ground and he drops yeah. the grenade in the helicopter and it explodes. And he's scrabbling, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty That was pretty ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Definitely a spectacle. I think the, the opening scene, like you said, is such a gripping scene of thinking mm. that it is Bond Definitely. being pursued by an agent and then watching him die. Like, it's... It's really good. It's very tense. Mm -hmm. And I think for mine, the tables being turned on Donald Grant at the end. Yes. Because like that fight, we need to talk about that. I think, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I've said this before and I will say it again. Something that Bond, especially in the Connery era, but also not restricted to that, really excels at is really fun, brutal, close quarters, tight area fight sequences yes mm-hmm. that are Intention mostly about leading up to it fisticuffs and maybe sometimes props yes and bond and grant have a fantastic sequence where grant reveals himself intending to kill bond bond gets the upper hand partly through the help of gadgets as got reminded us and then they have a really great fight, mm-hmm. which is primarily in the cabin they're using, where they've pulled across the partition because Tanya's drugged. Grant's signature weapon is a garrote wire, mm-hmm. like a strip of piano wire, and I think he pulls it out of his, his watch. Yeah, or something. That's how he kills the fake Bond at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so it's a nice bit of cinematic rhyming that he yeah. attempts to kill Bond with it later. Then Bond turns it around and manages to... Strangle him with his own mm-hmm. weapon. With his own grot. Yeah. And it's tense and it you feel the effort from Bond during and after. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the iconic kills in the series yeah definitely it's such a great fight yeah it's it's super good and like you were saying like the style of fighting like you know it's obviously choreographed like they know what they're doing but it it feels like there's there's still like acting going on with the fighting where it feels very life or death in that moment and Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's why it's just so memorable to me like the reason that why it's stuck out so much in my head is like it feels like a brutal fight between these two people who I mean, the movie started with them, you know, yeah. like this, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see yeah. these two face off and to, to finally have it happen. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great fight scene. Mm-hmm. That is something narratively that the film does do very well. You're right. Like they pose this question, what will happen when mm-hmm. they finally meet Donald Grant meets the real James Bond? And then they answer it in a great fashion. Mm-hmm. Any other jokes that we can remember besides she should have kept her mouth shut? No. Uh, it's not it's not a great film for jokes. No. Not I think they're still working it out. They kind of even stepped back a little from Doctor No. Yeah, there was the sort of final one, I think, when Bond was being kicked at by the by the knife yeah. shoe. Uh, she got yeah. her kicks. <laughs> yeah, I got her kicks in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's that one's decent. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Well, that one is especially funny just because of the editing where he says it and like not a frame goes by before they cut immediately to the next scene of like pigeons flying away in a really loud set. So it's almost just like this really tense like <sighs> she got her kicks in. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, man. All right, what's next? I'm the one who primarily talks about sets. I don't really have that much to add except for, like, again, Ken Adam wasn't here, but yeah. I do feel like the set for the chess championship final is so beautiful. pretty Adam-esque and fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's some good use of real sets here, like, yeah. like great use of the mosque. Anything else anyone wants to say we about have the train? We have production design. Yeah, train's great. Yeah, the train's great. The honeymoon suite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is pretty good. There are sets in this film. It's just not. It doesn't have the iconic Ken Adams flavor. No, not quite. Mm-hmm. Not quite. Let's talk about the music. The music and the title yeah. sequence. Well, I mean, fun fact: John Barry, who you know composed most of the Bond music going forwards, he didn't actually meet the producers until after Doctor No was released and a success when this film was being developed. Mm-hmm. As people who listened to the first episode of our podcast know, he only really arranged the Bond theme for the previous film. It was composed by someone else, yeah. Monty Norman composed the score. So Broccoli and Saltzman weren't sure whether John Barry was right to score this whole film, but they agreed, he was very excited, Mm. and he went to Turkey. As part of that, this was his first real attempt, he said, of writing music to evoke a setting. He didn't really try writing in Turkish musical form. He primarily achieved the feel through what instruments he used for mm. the orchestrations. Personally, as someone who, who writes music and thinks about this a lot, I think that's a more ethical way of being a white British composer mm. writing music to evoke somewhere else. Other musical languages aren't ours. Mm-hmm. It can get a bit iffy when we try and write within those note structures mm. and meters. Yeah. It can also get iffy when we overuse certain instruments that evoke a space. Yeah. Mm. Like, obviously we're thinking of, like, overly orientalist music in mm-hmm. films that are meant to evoke the mythical East, yeah. so to speak. But I think this film balances it pretty well. A big entry into this film is a theme that John Barry wrote himself called the 007 theme, which is not to be confused with the Bond theme, mm-hmm. which is the music that we hear during the fight sequence at the Romani camp. Very sort of upbeat, rousing, mm. more fun than the Bond yeah, theme. Yeah, but not quite as memorable. They don't use it quite as much. only used in four more films after this. Mm. Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever, and then a big break until Moonraker. Mm. Lionel Bart of Oliver, exclamation point, fame, wrote the music and lyrics for the title song because they weren't ready to let John Barry write the title song mm-hmm. yet, but he would. Can I talk about the title song? Let me just finish. Okay. John Black, who would later go on to write lyrics for Diamonds Are Forever, was managing a singer named Matt Monroe and suggested him as the vocalist of the title song. Monroe's wife, Mickey, was very disappointed to see that the song wasn't used for the opening titles and was only in a very short, diegetic radio moment at the beginning of the film, but then, she says, went from decidedly dejected to euphoric when she heard her husband's voice come over the end credits. And final little tidbit about the title song before everyone gives opinions Mm -hmm. in you could call them dixieland you could call them jug band the village stompers a band of the time achieved a billboard top 100 entry with a sort of southern bluegrass version Mm. of the title song which i sent you sarah so you have heard it 
Yes, I have. Okay. It's a free for all. Tell me what you think of this. Okay, so <laughs> I think this song. This song is great. It's a wonderful song. Mm-hmm. It is such a swooning ballad. Yes. From Russia with love. I just imagine someone waltzing to it. It's so great. Mm. It's vibes. It's vibes. It is vibes. He's got an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. A beautiful voice, and he has a very classic crooner voice like you oh, yeah. assumed he was Frank Sinatra and I don't think unfairly. I did. Yeah, I did at first. And I was like, oh, then maybe it's Bing Crosby and I'm like, oh no, I've never heard of this man before, but he's no, it's great. This, this relatively obscure British singer called Matt Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. I think it's really well placed at the end, although I miss it at the beginning just because... I think the lyrics do a really big thing at the beginning of a Bond film for setting up the story and the tone. We have an instrumental arrangement, a more up-tempo instrumental arrangement. We do. It's... For the title sequence. And it's wonderful. Like, I love the orchestra version, but, like, I love it in hindsight. Yeah. Like, I, I listened to it on repeat a bunch last week because I just really wanted to. And, like, it's wonderful because I know what the lyrics are saying, but I think yeah. that for what we will go on to do, I, I think they make the right choice in putting the lyric songs at the beginning with the titles. Because yeah. it sets you up for what you're about to witness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like... <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of this title sequence. It's a little boring. I mean, she's dancing well. It's just not my thing. It is Robert Brown John taking over from Morris Binder, who designed the titles for the first film, and will design all of the titles from Thunderball on through to the end of the 80s. It's funny, because Morris Binder is the iconic name for title sequences, when you think of the Morris Binder title sequence, you're thinking of silhouettes. Yeah, the naked women silhouettes. <laughs> giant guns or giant martini glasses and somersaults and whatever. Mm-hmm. But these two Robert Brown John title sequences are iconic in their own right. Both this one and Goldfinger feature projections mm-hmm. of scenes from the films yeah. projected onto women's bodies. A woman's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting. I like the movement in it, and like that's very cool. But then it's like coupled with all of the rest of the sexism in the movie. It's like, eh, <laughs> right, not my right, right. Now, Scott, your turn. I know I jumped right in there. To- <laughs> no, I mean, you pretty much said everything I said. I, I was thinking, like, so at the very end of the movie, right after he throws the <clears throat> the sex tape into the river, right? And that's basically the end of the movie and the song there's the song plays over it. Like I, there was like an instinctive part of me that was especially cuz I was running late for this podcast. That was like, "All right, I have to I'm going to stop the movie now." But like the song sort of like gripped me and I was like, oh, "I kind of want to listen to this song yeah. though." Yeah. I, I kind of want to listen to the rest of this song. And I did. And I stayed throughout the I I just watched it for the whole and like cuz it's just nothing like visually at that point is like super duper interesting it just sort of holds on the you know showing the them you know just the background basically yeah but the song is so good that i was like all right i'll stay and i'll listen to it's I'll a great song this. yeah it, it's a very strong first outing for mm-hmm. your bond songs the lyrics don't specifically describe what happens in the film mm-hmm. as with many to be honest most of the lyrical content of bond title songs but it is an side that, as you say, Sarah, if it had been in the opening credits, it would have, I think, added a bit more sort Mm. of context to the rest of the film. Yeah, I agree. I also think because it's really hard for me to tell from Tanya's, from the performance of that character, 
I think the film is implying that she actually is in love with him, but I couldn't really tell if it's her cover story and then she mm. does fall for him right at the end. Like, is she actually defecting? And I don't think the film is really clear on that. I think what is written is that her cover story is that she's in love with him and she starts out kind of skeptical because mm -hmm. why wouldn't you be? She doesn't know him. Mm -hmm. But then she falls in love with him pretty quickly, Yeah, which is less believable and less interesting, I think. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, there is some ambiguity there as well. Yeah, but so I bring it up because the song is about, the singer is singing about falling in love with a woman from Russia and, like, mm -hmm. the kind of, like, conflict that arises from that. And I'm like, oh, well, obviously, it's it's a little bit of a parallel, but it's not completely like the same. Mm -hmm. And it, it just reminded me that there's that whole element where all of a sudden on the train, Tanya's like, I'm in love with you, James. And I'm like, but are you? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the mm -hmm. film wants me to think. I right. Because like, and going back to the, the fish thing again. Siamese fighting fish. Not to bring it up so much, but the movie made me really think that it was important. Yeah. So <laughs> it would have been interesting to me if after the whole fight, like on the train with James and Grant, you know, they duke it. It's this big final battle that we've been looking forward to. If then there was like almost like a, a sort of additional thing where it's like now that James Bond is the victor. Oops. Tanya's actually like, all right, now I'm sweeping. And it's like a, almost like a sort of a twist or a reversal of like what that's what Spectre was trying to do. But it was like, nope, nope. Tanya's got it. You know, yeah. I'm going to swoop in and, and do it. So like, I don't know. There, there was like there's moments of like I could see things going in, you know, it, it could have gone in different ways. So it's yeah. uh, a good idea, some, though. I like that. Yeah. idea. I am very much team Tanya having more to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's something we can all agree on. Yeah. And that's a good point at which to transition to our wrapping up segments. Yeah. What did we think as, like, me, Bond veteran, mm -hmm. Sarah, on your second viewing, Scott, on your second viewing? Yes. Scott, as the guest, please go ahead, go first. You know, I remembered liking this one more than Dr. No, and I haven't revisited Dr. No, so I don't know if, if my opinion would still hold. But I think the, the thing that got me was I just remembered liking the gadgets a lot. I was like, oh, cool. And especially the train fight. And maybe <laughs> the fact that most of the gadgets are condensed in that one fight is, is probably why it was very memorable for me. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are chunks of this movie that I would cut out, and it is a little bit slower in that regard than I remembered it being. But boy, does it end like just so energetically. It's it's such a dynamic way to end the movie. And I mean, I'm still I still think the train fight is so good. And I liked it. All right. I liked it. That's uh, yeah. That's cool. Unpopular opinion. It's not an unpopular opinion. <laughs> it's a very popular opinion. It's somewhat unshared in this group, at least like in retrospect, yeah. I guess. Mm -hmm. Sarah. Again, you said this already, but like we can come back to it. Your opinion has changed mm -hmm. with this second viewing. I think my opinion has changed mostly because when I watched it in 2018, it was the third Bond film I'd ever seen, and it was the second one of these classic ones that you were showing me. And so I thought, oh, this one's exciting. I like Tanya. There's mm -hmm. so much more intrigue. There's a lot more, I think, that happens in this one than ha maybe happens in Dr. No, because we talked in the last episode how Dr. No has this big problem of like, we are on that island for like 15 minutes mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the film ends mm -hmm. and all the rest of it is build up. Yes. And then this one actually, even with the 
superfluous Romani scene. Like mm-hmm. we still are doing stuff that adds to the to the plot throughout the movie and it's gripping. But my opinion now is now having watched all of the rest of the Bond films besides the Daniel Craig movies, like the best is yet to come. And oh. this one in comparison to me is not quite as good. I still really love Tanya. Mm-hmm. I still think she's really interesting. I think the performance is really interesting. I still liked Karimbe. Mm-hmm. And I still thought the locations were really beautiful. But like, so I, yeah, I think I feel this way mostly because like now I know what mm. else I'm going to be seeing. And I have that in my mind as well. And so oh. watching it again, it's like in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I have more complicated opinions about this now that I, I know where the bar is going to be set for me personally watching these classic ones. So I gotta keep going. I gotta keep yeah, watching definitely. I'd say, the adventures yeah. of Jim Jim Bond. At least watch them when our episodes come out. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. they're spaced out over a year. You don't have to binge them. Yeah. Excellent. I'll do that. As for me, I'm pretty much with Sarah. Like mm-hmm. this was never my favorite. It's always kind of a bit boring dry. I think I always had a sense of the superfluous sequences, even if I couldn't put a finger on that until very recently, comparatively recently in, you know, the 20-year lifespan of my Bond fandom. Mm -hmm. I think you said it pretty well, Sarah. I, too, felt like it leapt up in my estimation when I showed it to you, partly because of your enthusiasm for it. I was like, is this the classy good Bond, <laughs> and then we watch it again recently, and I'm like, no, yeah, oh, a lot of slapping. None yeah. of them are, but this definitely isn't. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's like how we said with Doctor No in the last episode. Like, would we recommend it? We would recommend Doctor No if you're planning on watching the rest and like starting and being a completionist. Yeah. If you are interested in how does this progress, how does this evolve, then then it's a these good are thing to watch. Worthwhile building blocks to see how we get mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Films like Goldfinger. So by itself, I think it is interesting. And I think, you know, Scott, that's what you're feeling is like you've never seen any of these classic Bond yeah. films. And it's it gives you a flavor and it's only going to develop from here. Yeah. And I think I, I think that's sort of my thing, too, is it's not even that I liked the whole movie. It's mm. I liked parts of it that I think are to me like a quintessent, like the like the fights with the gadgets on the train. I'm just like, I want that, but a whole movie. And that's that's actually going to be my next point, which is like. Michaela's sublime sequence, as I always say, every Bond film is a mess, Mm -hmm. but each one has a sequence or moment that I think is perfectly executed. And like that's pretty much exactly what you said, Scott. And unfortunately I have to break it to you that like like I said, no Bond film is perfect. Most of the Bond films are like what you said. No. I will say that I think Tomorrow Never Dies is a really solid film overall it's got a good cast it's got a good story Mm -hmm. i don't think there are any big superfluous sequences and it has michelle yo in it and i'd say the same for the gold finger for this era Mm -hmm. yeah but that being said my sublime sequence for this time i I think it has to go to the face-off between grant and bond Mm -hmm. culminating in the fight it's just an iconic sequence and Mm -hmm. it's iconic because it's good and it has a really great build-up and then release of tension. See, for me, my vote would be for the Spectre agents blowing up in the boats. <laughs> they went all out on those explosions. They went hardcore. I mean, you're not wrong. It's very fun. But on a purely technical level, the pacing is just better. That's fine. That's fine. Sarah, we have a new segment, which... Yes. Ooh. Which, um... What's your favorite outfit in this song? Okay, so... 
honestly, I, I can't believe I didn't think of it last time because there are some really fun outfits and costumes that we've got in these movies. Personally, I think for me, this one has... I think the superfluous nightgowns are great. Mm -hmm. They're very pretty, very 1960s, but mm -hmm. I love the coat that she wears on the train. That fur coat, that huge mm -hmm. collar, so good. It's good. It's a good look. It's so cute. Yeah. It is really cute. And then in the next episode, uh, James Bond wears a romper. It's great. <gasps> it's a swim romper. <laughs> oh. I know. You'll have to look up the pictures. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Listen, listen. Even I, as a lesbian, can say that Sean Connery looks good in that romper. <laughs> I, I mean, I teased at the start that I was going to talk about how hot Sean Connery was. We barely was, talked about how I hot. I didn't even do yeah. that. We barely did it. Now, like, look, some of his actions Not you know, so hot. put me off a little bit. All right. Yeah. But yeah. the look of the man. You should watch. You should watch Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. It's like his like first top billing film. Wow. It is a 1959 Disney live action film set in Ireland. Yeah, he sings wow. in it. He's got a beautiful voice. <gasps> he sings. Yeah. Also, he wow. and this very fiery Irish girl fall in love, and I'm like, wow, I'm in love with both of you. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. How would we describe this movie in one sentence or five words or less? Mm. Five words or less. This is good. Sean Connery is James Bond. <laughs> That's five <laughs> words. That's not wrong. It's not wrong. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I got mine. Okay. Shall I go ahead? Doctor No, but grayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are in a much grayer setting, so that's fair. Ooh. You think Spectre will matter. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That's I mean, you, good. you think you will. You think it will. And then you never actually see them past Rosa Klebb. Mm -hmm. It's there to this film that's less, like, because they will matter going forward, but less so in this. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, unless I want to go for, like, a girl fight at the Romani camp, which is not five words, <laughs> it's six. Girl fight at Romani camp. Yeah. Yeah. I'll 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 spin off of that and I'll say watch the beginning and end. <laughs> Cuz those are my two favorite I, moments. That's not wrong. Yeah. I like the very opening beginning and I like everything from the and Then just skip to the, the train. Confrontation with Yeah, get I to like the train, that. go forward. Good show. I think that's about it. Thank you everyone for joining us, but you should have kept your mouth shut. Oh, come on. I know. <laughs> we don't have a lot to work with with this one. No. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners, but especially Scott. Thank you so much. Have you had a good time? I've had a great time. Thank you for asking. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We hope to have you on for another one. I would watch another one. I would watch any of them. Yeah. I think you'd have a good time. Where can people find you? You can find me, um, you know what? If your podcast listeners like podcasts, mm. I have a podcast for them to listen to. You have a podcast? Ooh. It's called It's Probably Not Aliens. I yes. host it with my buddy Tristan, and we look at ancient aliens and ancient astronaut theory, and we mostly debunk it while yeah. teaching people about the real world history of really cool people and places and objects and uh it's just a lot of fun if you want some some comedy some education it's just it's a good time and uh the main thing i do is my youtube channel nerd sync mm -hmm. n-e-r-d-s-y-n-c 
I make video essays and also just currently doing some like commentary reaction stuff just for funsies about um, nerdy media that I'm interested in, comics, cartoons, that sort of stuff. So, And I say this with love and respect, you are primarily a Scooby-Doo channel at the moment. <laughs> currently, I'm primarily a Scooby-Doo channel. I made like a Scooby-Doo video once and it was so well received that I was like, okay, finally I have an outlet to talk about all the things that I want to talk about. And to be fair, yeah, like Scooby-Doo is one of your special interests. It's one of the things you love the most. And mm, I, like, yeah. I really respect that. Like, there is not enough people just going to bat for Scooby-Doo the way you do. Yes. Oh, there's really not. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. It's 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 my pleasure to do it. And the fact that people actually want to listen to me talk about it is, is very fun. I have a very important question for you in that case, since mm. it is... Well, right now it's close to Halloween, but by yes. the time this comes out, it will not be close to Halloween. Uh, what is your favorite go-to spooky Scooby-Doo thing to watch? Is it Zombie Island, which is Ghost? Oh, yeah, I would, I mean, Zombie Island's a classic, but I would probably give it to, to Witch's Ghost purely because of number one, Hex Girls, obviously. That's that's fair. And But also just like Tim Curry's performance in that movie is so underrated. Like he- God, he was in that. He plays it oh so strong and calm the whole time until the moment like the the switch flips and he just gives it everything and it's so so good um if you want a shorter one my favorite episode of a pup named scooby-doo is called for letter or worse it's very good uh very silly and it has my favorite mystery of the whole series so Jumping off from Sarah's point, since, as she says so correctly, this episode will be coming out after Halloween, mm -hmm. are there Thanksgiving and or festive-themed mm. Scooby-Doo properties that you would mm. recommend to keep in the seasonal? Um, I am almost positive there are specifically like Thanksgiving or thereabouts episodes, but they would be mostly from like the older Scooby-Doo where like they were not sensitive at all to like Native right. American sort of culture. Yeah. So like, I don't, I would, I don't know if I would recommend those, Yeah, but I mean, I think every episode, right? Because Shaggy and Scooby are eating a feast all the time. Yeah, that's the... On, on Scooby-Doo. Oh, that's true. Every episode is a family dinner. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, Scott, so much for coming yes. on and joining us. And then everyone needs to go and check out everything you do. It's all made mm. with such heart and spirit and, like, devotion Quality. to what you do. Thank you. And also, like, you know, you your stuff always gets better. Like... I know how hard you've worked to improve the quality of your stuff over the last few years. And well, I appreciate that. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Our social media handles and stuff, as usual, will be in the show notes, mm -hmm. along with Scott's. But you can find us on Twitter and Instagram each. Say hello if you want to. Tell us what you think of the podcast, especially now. The podcast is now available on various podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, meaning that I can start hounding you awful lot for five-star reviews. Yeah! Because apparently that makes things better in podcast land. So give five us stars. those five-star reviews, mm -hmm. please. Give us five stars. Mm -hmm. Five stars for talking about how hot Sean Connery is. Yes. I mean, lots of people agree. One star for each son that Karimbe has. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> At least. I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you once again, Scott, 
for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm sure we will see you again. Yeah. Scott Nice Wonder will return. (laughs) (laughs) At an undetermined date. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But however, us, we will see you in two weeks when we will be jumping to the very next year. Again. When we are jumping to 1964 for Goldfinger and uh, a little known person named Paige the Princess (laughs) will be joining us. Because she's short. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't think about that until now. Well, we will see you in two weeks. (laughs) Bye. Goodbye. Bye bye. Money, penny. I, you know, not a huge fan of capitalism. So I don't know if. (laughs) Oh my god. You think you're real cute. He's gonna. That's funny. Uh, I'm working. I'm, I'm working right now. And then. Daddy's working here. Yeah. And then.